if I can take that maybe three to five minute job and make it a one to two minute job. And I do that a bunch of times uh, by getting rid of all like these for loops and the class files and some of the basic stuff. Now you have more time to do the things that are more heavy cognitive load. Welcome to How AI Happens, a podcast where experts explain their work at the cutting edge of artificial intelligence. You'll hear from AI researchers, data scientists, and machine learning engineers as they get technical about the most exciting developments in their field and the challenges they're facing along the way. I'm your host, Rob Stevenson, and we're about to learn how AI happens. Here with me today on How AI Happens is a man with a ton of experience in our space. Currently, he is the Director of Software Development and the General Manager of Amazon Code Whisperer, Doug Seven. Welcome to the podcast. How the heck are you today? I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm glad to be here. I'm always excited to talk about Code Whisperer, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me as well. I feel like my listenership will probably know a thing or two about the product or at least be familiar with it. We can get into all that in just a minute. But I want to get to know you first, Doug. So first of all, we're here at time of recording at the end of a Monday. What is your day-to-day like as the, you know, in the director level at a company like Amazon? Is it just meetings? Is it lots of strategy? Do you get to write any code yourself? How do you kind of fill your time? Wow, that's a good one. Oh, Mondays are a particularly interesting day because you know, Mondays are sort of the start of the week. And so it's actually a lot of meetings because we are using the day to kind of see where we ended the week before and see what we're doing in the week coming. So it's in some ways, it's almost like a developer doing a daily standup, but at a, at a much bigger scale. And so it takes you know half the day to, to go through a lot of that stuff and to go through all the different products we work with and things like that. And then my afternoons are usually reserved for more product-specific activities. Gotcha. So what is kind of the makeup of your team right now? The makeup of the team, we have anything in this space. So Code Whisper is, is sort of straddles the world of being a developer productivity tool and a generative AI-based product. And so we're really made up of, you know, you could almost imagine what this would be when you have product managers who are there thinking about what is our product strategy, where are we going, understanding our customers, understanding the competitive space that we're in and identifying that direction for us. Our engineering team, who's responsible for building that product and building the thing that you touch and interact with. And then a a science team who is figuring out all of this AI stuff and all the large language models and how do we make these things work and how do we continue to innovate and create new capabilities in the space. Amazon, obviously, huge company, loads of employees, north of 80,000 at this point, I should think. And I'm curious, because software engineers are an agile breed, they like to build, they like to get stuff done, they like to break things. At a big company, are you able to kind of remain agile and ship things, even though there's so many employees, and there's such a big, such a huge scope of operation going on there? Yeah, I think the crux of, you know, how Amazon and AWS work has been pretty well documented in our concept of the two pizza team. And, and really, the idea that Big effort can come from small groups of people with really intentional motivations around what they want to go build. And so it's actually surprisingly easy to remain agile in a large organization, large company, because you sort of continue to operate in these small pockets. Even teams that build big products can be made up of multiple smaller teams that are operating sort of in concert with one another. I've worked in a lot of big tech companies, and so I think you know the idea of agility inside big tech is still very, very much the norm. So I'm not familiar with the two pizza team idea. Can you give us a crash course through that? 
Oh, Rob, I got some websites to direct you to. <laughs> yeah, so the idea was started with Amazon quite a long time ago when Jeff Bezos was still very heavily involved in, in Amazon day-to-day operations. And the idea that your team should be no larger than what you can feed with two pizzas. And that's like a good group of people. And if you really think about it, I've often throughout my career had a similar sort of metaphor of uh, seven plus or minus two is a good team size, partially because my name's Doug Seven, so I like to tie it back <laughs> to me. But the idea that it's big enough that you have the capacity to get a lot of stuff done, but small enough that you have the ability for everyone to be heard and to participate and have some voice in what you're doing. And so this idea of like, oh, well, like your team should be able to be fed by two pizzas is a, is a great sort of analogy for how you should think about team size. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for explaining that to me. I apologize if that is well-tilled content soil at this point that the two pizza team thing is is out there, but that's what you get when you don't have a technical person. I'm not but a humble podcaster here, Doug. So thank you anyway for looping me in. That is helpful. But yeah, I want to make sure we talk about Code Whisperer. We're getting there, I promise. (laughs) First, I would just love to know, Doug, how did you come to be in this role where you are overseeing the product? Yeah, I kind of have a long tenure in advocating for developers and developer productivity and building developer productivity tools and various incarnations of my career from being sort of running a startup where I was more of like an evangelist helping to publish content and share information to developers about how to do software development and providing educational materials to actually building some of the tools that developers are using to build their software. And then eventually kind of transitioned from that into building large-scale cloud services and things that were leveraging AI in different capacities. And so that's kind of the culmination of all the right ingredients that bring you to, hey, let's build a developer productivity tool based on large-scale AI services and provide it as a cloud service. It's all, all those ingredients come together. So I joined AWS just a little over a year ago. Code Whisper product was already envisioned and the project was already started. And I joined to help bring it to market and continue to evolve it. Gotcha. So like I said, I think that people tuning in will have some passing familiarity at the least with Code Whisperer, but I would love to hear it from the horse's mouth. So what is Code Whisperer? Let's just start there. So in its simplest form, Code Whisperer, we would describe it as a, an AI coding companion. So For developers who think about things like pair programming, where two people are going to sit down and kind of attack a problem together and bring both of their knowledge to that problem, Code Whisper is the AI version of that coding companion or that pair programmer that you're working with, where as you're writing code, it's able to suggest the code that you might want next. So kind of thinking ahead where you're going, look at what you're doing and saying, oh, I see what you're doing. Well, here's the code you need. With the idea being that if we can suggest the right code, You know, maybe if we make a two-minute job, a one-minute job, or a five-minute job, a three-minute job, and we do that enough times in the day, you're going to be that much more productive. And that ultimately means you're going to be able to get your ideas from the whiteboard to product faster and get those products shipped faster. So is it similar to predictive text, or is UI be more like on the other side of the screen, you have all these examples of directions you might want to go? The predictive text analogy is probably a pretty good one in the sense that if I'm working in my development environment and I'm writing code, there's a couple of different ways that Code Whisper will work. And in one case, very much like the predictive text, as I'm writing a line of code, you'll see this sort of gray, faint text appear as you're typing. That's the suggestion of how you might finish that line of code or that block of code that you're working on. So we're sort of Code Whisper is looking at what you're doing and trying to predict the code you need and make that suggestion so that instead of having to type all of that, you can just press tab and that code goes into your IDE. The other scenario, and these work interchangeably, you don't do anything different, but the other scenario is 
you know, hopefully a common practice for most developers is to write comments in your code for what the code is supposed to do. So, you, you know, the idea is you start by writing a comment that says, here's my intent. I'm going to write a function that does this and this and this and this, this. And Code Whisperer can read that text, that natural language text, and then suggest the code that fulfills that intent. And so the idea that I could write my intent as a comment, and then Code Whisperer will generate that code for me, saving me the trouble of having to write that code. And in many cases, actually saving me the trouble of having to go look something up because I know what I want to accomplish, but I'm not sure exactly how to accomplish it. So I have to go search the internet or look up some documentation or go phone a friend to figure out how to solve a problem. And Code Whisperer is that friend who's doing it there for me right as I'm typing. So in that example where you would be writing your own annotation, the following code is meant to accomplish X. It then going to be searching. Is it like language matching to other annotations? Or how is it coming up with the fulfillment of your intent? So behind the scenes for Code Whisperer, there's a large language model that's capable of understanding the natural language and then deriving from that natural language what code you want. So it's unlike a library where you might say, oh, this matches, you know, I'm going to go search for annotations and pull some code snippets and give them to you. The large language models are really more capable of interpreting what they understand and then producing the code that you need. So in effect, they're writing new code based on what they know about code. So if you train a large language model on a programming language and give it enough examples of how to write different kinds of applications, it can derive from what your intent is, what code you need. Okay, that leads me to an interesting point, which is how generative, in quotes, is this? Meaning, is it only going to suggest code that has previously existed in production? That's a great question, actually. And the answer is no, it's not going to only generate code that it's seen before. Although that can sometimes be the case. But what it's doing is it's much like if you were to learn something, eventually you learn enough about that something that you can generate new things, right? So if I, if I learn how to code in a particular programming language, once I know how that programming language works, I can stop following the examples and start creating my own code. So the language models work the same way. They've seen enough examples. I mean, we're talking about billions of lines of code that we've trained these models on that they can generate completely new code that has never existed before in the world based on what they know how to do. Now, sometimes one of the fascinating things about how large language models work is sometimes they will produce something they've seen before, much like maybe you and I would do if we were working together and we're working on a problem. You're like, oh, I know how to solve this. I've seen it before. And maybe I'm going to go to a website and I'm going to copy something I've seen before and I'm going to put it in there. The language models can sometimes do the same thing. And so for Code Whisper, we've introduced a capability called the Reference Tracker, which is designed to help developers understand when the model is producing code that it's seen before, particularly if that code is open source license code. And we'll say, hey, this code comes from our training. We've seen this in our training data set before. Here's where it comes from. Here's the you know open source project or repo that it comes from. Here's the license it's under. We just want to make sure you know that before you decide if you want to use this code or not. Is that the main reason why you would need to know if something was brand new or had been used before is the case that it might be under license? Yeah, the primary reason that you would want to know if it was replicated from its, you know, from the code base it learned from is if it's copyrighted code, right? So copyrighted code would be anything under a license in an open source repo, maybe an MIT license or a, an Apache license or something like that. And that doesn't mean you can't use it. You're totally okay to use it. Those licenses will tell you what the requirements are for using it. So being able to tell you, hey, there's a particular line of code. Maybe you get a code suggestion that's 
20 or 25 lines of code, but we say, hey, in this, there's one line of code that looks just like this code from this open source repo. So we want to be able to make sure that you know, A, which part of the code that is, B, where that code comes from, and then see what license it's under. So you can make a decision about what you want to do with it. Okay, gotcha. Are there other reasons why one might want to know that if this is pre-existing code or brand new code? Maybe, but that's really the primary reason is knowing if you're using something that's copyrighted. Got it. I'm curious to hear you kind of wax philosophic <laughs> on generative. And this is my favorite part of the episodes when we wax philosophic because I can really put my liberal arts degree to use. But does something need, like in the example of Code Whisperer, does it need to generate brand new, never before seen code to be considered generative? I think when you look at how the language models work, to be able to call them generative isn't restricted to just the fact that they've created something never before seen. If all they did was repeat things that they've seen before, maybe that we'd have some way of saying, eh, is this really generative or not? Versus, you know, the reality is it's it's a fraction of the time, a small fraction of the time that the language models are generating something that is a you know, near identical match to something they've seen before. The majority of the time, what they're generating is something that's completely net new. So in that regard, I would say, yes, these language models really are generative in the sense that they're taking what they've learned in the world and applying that to create something that meets a need or requirement that has never existed before. You know, and again, maybe in a small fraction of cases, some portion of that has existed before. And it, Code is an interesting thing, you know, if we're going to wax philosophical about it, like there's only so many ways to write a for loop or to, you know, handle some of these things. And so, you know, some things will often look very familiar, or very repetitive, but the totality of what you're building is in fact new and different and novel compared to something that would be there before. You wouldn't, you're not just recreating some sample. You're taking what you've learned and creating Yeah, something. yeah. The whole is more than the sum of its parts. That old chestnut, right? But that is well taken that there's lots of solved problems, mostly solved problems, right? That you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you go to write some code. And that if this, this thing has operated before, this line of code has worked, then why would you need to rewrite it? Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's lots of solved problems. There's lots of unsolved problems. And a lot of the problems that are yet to be solved are going to be solved with constructs that already exist. You know, I use for loops are kind of my go-to because it's like, of course, for loops have existed forever when I was a and as a kid, we'd go to the computer store and we'd write, you know, four next loops and have our name show up on the screen a thousand times. You know, so it's a construct that has existed for a long time, but you use that construct to create new things to solve new problems. And so lots of problems will are yet to be solved and we'll use generative AI to help us solve them. In this case, it's about just helping us solve them faster. This feels like an important use case in the entire industry right now is this idea of a co-pilot and AI co-pilot for that can be trained on a company's own data set that can be running next to you while you write code or while you write copy or while you put together your Salesforce plumbing, whatever. This sort of the AI co-pilot feels like a really important, I don't want to say trend, but just this is happening a lot right now. It's a use case. What made it clear, do you think, that this was an important product for Amazon to put together? So the idea for Code Whisperer came around some number of years ago. And part of this comes from two things. There's kind of two points converging or maybe three points converging in that we employ a lot of software engineers. And so we're acutely aware of the challenges that software engineers face on a daily basis. And the challenge with 
keeping up with an ever-evolving landscape of programming languages and frameworks that they have to know, the sensitivities around managing open source code, dealing with, you know, security issues related to code. You know, all these things are problems that every developer faces daily. So we knew that from our own experience, but we are also hearing it from our customers who are coming to us and saying, we want to build applications and run on AWS. How can we be better, faster at doing this? And so while all that's happening, the third part of that convergence is the capability of large language models was rapidly increasing and coming down in price. So the ability to create a large language model from maybe 2018, 2019 to now has just exploded. Like the size and capability of the models has really changed everything. And so when you start to put all these things together, we recognize the opportunity to say, well, we, if we could apply these large language models to this problem that we are experiencing ourselves and our, our customers are telling us about, we could make the process of building applications easier because we could help write code. And in particular, the develop, software developers are often like they crave new technology. It's, I think it's the nature of being a software developer. You're like always craving new technology. So it's a great place to use this technology in a really impactful and meaningful way really early. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think it is useful for Code Whisperer to be trained on a company's own code base? Or is it sufficiently effective having been trained on whatever it is that you're feeding it over there? Yeah, so the way I think about this is, I'll spoil my own answer by saying I absolutely think it's important for Code Whisperer to be able to understand your private code, learn from that private code, and be able to make suggestions based on that private code. And I get there by way of saying, that's the number one thing our customers have been asking us for since the day we put this out there. And the analogy is a little bit like, you know, if I start using Code Whisperer, Code Whisperer knows 15 different programming languages. It knows all kinds of different frameworks and things. It's really capable of doing a lot of different things. And it would be like if you had a large company and you had large products and you built with a lot of internal libraries and internal APIs and things like that, and you hired a new developer on day one, they come in with knowledge of languages, they come in with knowledge of frameworks, they're very capable, but they don't know anything about your code base. And so they're productive, but only to a certain degree. They can help, but only to a certain degree. And so the idea of customizing Code Whisperer, which is a new capability we recently announced, this ability to uh, point Code Whisperer at your code base and have Code Whisperer kind of reason over that code base and get smarter about what your code can do so that it can make the right kinds of suggestions. That's like having that same software engineer three years later. They know everything about your code base. They know how to do things. They're really efficient. They're really effective. And they can build all these kinds of things. How have you seen recommendations change or improve once given access to a code base? It's amazing. You know, one of my favorite things is, I'll sum it up this way, because I saw we have an internal channel where the developers that are using Code Whisper you know, across the company can kind of ask questions or share ideas or provide feedback, ask for features, whatever it might be. And somebody recently posted, we have a couple different customizations we use internally. Uh, and that's how we kind of tested this capability out. And one of the engineers that was using one of the customizations came on. He was his first time using it. And he posted how excited he was that he went to write some unit tests for some internal functionality. And we have a very specific way of doing it using some internal libraries, how we do it. And he went to write the unit test for that. And Code Whisper generated the unit test perfectly in line with what our internal guidance is and our internal direction is. And he was just blown away that it knew how to do that. That's cool. 
And frankly, there's a little bit of maybe fatherly pride that comes from like, this is working. People like this. This is like really making a difference. And people are not only are they like kind of enjoying it, but they're also getting that productivity gain that, you know, that's the whole reason we built this and what we want to get out of it. Yeah, that's got to feel good knowing just it's such an obvious thing, but you're just like, yes, it works like fist bump at the desk, right? And like, you know, it works, but then you hear those sort of qualitative experiences. It makes it all worth it. No. Yes, absolutely. Like the, just hearing when, what's fun. This sounds kind of weird, but what's fun is when I hear people who are surprised that it does the things it does. And partially because like this idea of generative AI is still relatively new for a lot of people. It's not something that's commonplace. And even for developers, most developers aren't using generative AI in their development yet today. And so the sort of surprise factor of how capable it is where people are like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, I read the marketing material, but wow, this is amazing. So this is a very like foundational response to the, is AI taking your job? So I apologize for restating it, but it is worthwhile, is that uh, AI is not coming for your job. It's coming for the parts of your job you hate, right? It's coming for the things that should be automated, that, you know, the things that only you can do will remain your domain and you'll be able to do more of them because of tools like CoWhisperer, for example. So one example you gave was like, okay, if this code exists out there, no need to rewrite it. Here it is. Go ahead. Like that saves you, you know, a few minutes. Could you share maybe some of the other examples of those parts of the software engineering role that maybe engineers wish they didn't have to do that CoWhisperer is coming for? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The idea here is that AI will replace the mundane parts of your job, the parts that are you know, repetitive, as almost all innovation in the world has done, right? Replace the things that are repetitive and mundane, and then allot you more capacity to do the things that are novel and interesting. So the idea that like another one of my kind of favorite examples of exactly this kind of scenario is if I'm going to write you know, one of the common activities I would do as a developer is write a class file to represent a data object. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's pretty mundane. It kind of follows a pretty set pattern. And if I just say, hey, I want a class to represent this object, Code Whisper can generate that code for me. And so I go back to the same concept I was talking about before. If I can take that maybe three to five minute job and make it a one to two minute job, and I do that a bunch of times uh, by getting rid of all like these for loops and the class files and some of the basic stuff, now you have more time to do the things that are more heavy cognitive load, solve the novel problem, figure out the new thing, solve the problem that's an unsolved problem today um, versus spending all your time on this sort of mundane, repetitive stuff. Unit tests are another great example. Nobody really likes to write unit tests. They're just sort of an, a necessary thing. So if I can say, hey, Code Whisper, write a unit test for this, it gets that done for me really quickly and I can do something that's more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Now, anytime we get into automation, generative, et cetera, et cetera. It's worthwhile to speak about guardrails and what kind of security is being put in place. So what's going on over there with Code Whisperer in terms of like the guardrails you're putting up? How are you making sure people stay on the straight and narrow? So this was a really important thing for us kind of from the very beginning. When we approached the idea of building AI that could participate in the software development process, essentially building AI to collaborate with you on software development, taking a very responsible approach was really important to us. And so from the very beginning, we had a, a tenant around the responsible use of AI. And so we wanted to do a few things. One I mentioned earlier was this idea of the reference tracker, that if we're going to suggest to you code that exists out in the world, and particularly that's under some kind of license, we should make you aware of that. And we shouldn't suggest that code to you unless we're telling you where you can find that code and what you can do with it to make sure that you're coding in a responsible way. Similarly, if we're going to participate in software development with you sort of in this collaborative capacity, 
We want to give you the tools to make sure that the sum of our collaboration is safe and secure. Code Whisper will generate great code, and we do a lot of things on the back end to detect for um, security issues or bias issues or toxicity and things like that to make sure the code that's coming out of Code Whisper is really good quality code and really appropriate code. But as soon as it becomes a collaboration with someone else, you kind of lose control of what could happen with that code. Right? Now a human and an AI are working together and mistakes can be made between the two. And so we wanted to put tools in the developer's hands to be able to find issues. And so one of the other features of Code Whisper is a code scanning capability where we will search, you know, you can go and run the code scan and we'll look at all the code, not just the code that Code Whisper generated, but all the code, code that from two years ago, and identify if there's any security vulnerabilities or maybe some cryptography errors or, or you know, you're not following best practices, things like that. And we'll identify those for you and say, hey, here's, we found an issue here and you can go fix that. But, you know, this is the same kind of thing you might use in the CI/CD pipeline. We're just sort of shifting left and putting it in the developer's hands to make sure we can be as responsible as possible. And then, as I mentioned on the back end, as we're, as we're training the model, we do a lot of work to filter the training data to make sure that we're getting, you know, we don't want a garbage in, garbage out problem. So we want to make sure that data is of high quality. And then we want to put the right kind of capabilities in place as we're generating code to make sure that nothing unwanted is coming out of that. Nothing that has, you know, you don't want anything that has toxic language or has maybe some bias implications or things like that. So we want to put all those protections in place. That was hugely important to us from the day we started. Yeah, yeah, of course. When you're looking to prevent the garbage in, garbage out problem, what is the garbage in you're trying to prevent? Yeah, when we're preparing the training data set for the model training, we really look for a lot of things. Some of it's just deduplication to make sure we have a good, clean data set. Some of it's, you know, searching for known toxic things that you might, you know, toxic language or biased code examples, things like that. And to some degree, there's a bit of, you know, sort of program analysis work that we would do to just make sure that the code that's going in is actually functional working code. And so there's a lot of work that goes in, you know, in all these different capacities in that training data set to make sure before we start the model training that that's a really good set of training data. Sure, sure. So this is a product by software engineers for software engineers, and such it will remain, I imagine. But do you think that there is a possibility that you wouldn't need to be a software engineer to use a kind of code writing copilot. It may not be code whisperer, but is that just like the natural progression of this kind of tech? Yeah, I do think this is what generative AI is going to do for us, right? Is the ability to use this intelligence to help us in our daily tasks in all kinds of different ways. We started with the software developer and particularly the professional software developer, someone who, you know, that's their day, that's what they get paid to do. And they want to use tools like this to make them more effective and faster. But the same technologies can be used in different tools that meet the needs of different people. So if you're someone who maybe is a subject matter expert who you're not really a software developer, but you know enough to kind of build some frontline applications or things like that, this kind of technology can just make that that much easier. Because then the idea, like if you think about one of the ways I was describing using Code Whisper, I'm going to write a comment in natural language and it's going to generate the code. So the idea that I can describe my intent and then the AI is going to generate the code I need, that falls right in line with the idea that I don't have to necessarily be super technical um, to do this. And some of that will come down to, do we limit the scope of what you're doing? So if we, you know, someone were to build a tool that's uh, around a specific scenario, maybe you limit the scope of the kind of code it can create only to a certain set of code. But there's a lot of different possibilities with this. I think we're going to see generative AI kind of, we're already seeing it today, but I think we're going to continue to see it kind of 
getting infused into almost every workload, regardless of what kind of professional you are, or even if you're not a professional, there's various other tools you might use. I think we'll see generative AI play a role in all of that. I think so as well, Doug. I don't think anyone would bet against that possibility, having seen some of the awesome stuff coming out, especially within Code Whisperer as well. So, hey, we are creeping up on optimal podcast length here, Doug. This has flown by, but it's because I love chatting with you. So we have to wind down here. But at this point, I would just say thank you so much for, for being here, Doug, and sharing with me all about the product. I've loved learning about it today. Hey, Rob, this is great. I love the philosophical questions. It's really sometimes, you know, you just got to kind of think about how these tools apply and what you do with them. But it's great to have the conversation. I really appreciate it. How AI Happens is brought to you by Sama. Sama provides accurate data for ambitious AI. Specializing in image, video, and sensor data annotation and validation for machine learning algorithms in industries such as transportation, retail, e-commerce, media, medtech, robotics, and agriculture. For more information, head to Sama.com.